if you're a regular attender here, you might be thinking, I don't remember that in Genesis. <clears throat> so let me explain a little bit why I'm not in Genesis. Um, I am going to be gone for three weeks um, for training at NASA for the next space. <laughs> Wait, that's August. Never mind. Um, so, no, my family and I are going to take a vacation. We're going to be gone for three weeks. And I just finished chapter 25 in Genesis, and I wasn't ready to kick off a brand new um, chapter. I've also had something bubbling in my heart for months, and here we are. So let's pray. Father, thank you for the opportunity this morning to open your word. Thank you for the opportunity, Lord, for the past 16 years to get to shepherd and preach the truths of the text of the scriptures. Father, I, I thank you so much for the sweet burden of being called to minister, and I pray for your, your blessing on this time. Father, help me not to be in the way of the word, but that your spirit would apply your truth to your people in whatever way you want. And that, Father, we would, be, we would be desirous and anxious to respond in our lives to what we see in the Word. The crust is so hard at times, Father, to break through. But Lord, you know exactly, exactly who we are and what you're doing. I pray you would do that in this time for Jesus' sake and for the sake of the lost in this world, Lord God, and for the sake of the growth of the, of the church of Jesus Christ. I, I pray you'd bless this time in your word for your glory's sake. <clears throat> in Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> it's a fascinating thing to listen intently when a natural disaster takes place to what people say. Every now and again, this happens, whether it's a, some sort of explosion or some sort of landslide or earthquake or tsunami or something of that nature, and people die, and the world responds. And quite often, the world responds with a with a shotgun of questions. Where's God? Why do you allow such a thing? Is God good or is he sovereign? That's one I hear somewhat often. If God's in charge of all things and he's good, then why this? Is this God's judgment on that people? If God was rightly honored, these types of things would never happen to us. Whether it's 9-11, a tsunami, Hurricane Katrina, or a mass shooting in a school, these same questions always seem to rise to the surface. Why? What did these people do to encounter this? That's not new. That was asked of our Lord. That very question was brought to his attention in the text I want to draw your attention to this morning. <clears throat> and let me just go right to the center of this thing. 
The response of the Lord Jesus in this passage is not what they thought they'd hear. But it's what they needed to hear. It's interesting when you ask a question. I remember at Bible college and I would pose a question. I usually didn't like asking questions unless I knew, unless I thought I knew the answer. And at times you pose these questions because you're like, I think I know what the answer is, so I'm going to ask because I want to hear what he says and see if we agree. And so a question is brought to the Lord Jesus about some disturbing news, a catastrophe that took place. You look at verse 1 of chapter 13. There were some present at that very time who told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. Now, If you drop down, look at chapter 12, verse 54, just a few verses back, listening to some of the things, because this passage starts with, uh, at that time, this, this is taking place, what our Lord had been saying. He also said to the crowds, when you see a cloud rising in the west, you say at once, a shower is coming, and so it happens. And when you see the south wind blowing, you say, there will be scorching heat, and it happens. You hypocrites. You know how to interpret the appearance of earth and sky? But why do you not know how to interpret the present time? 57. And why do you not judge for yourselves what is right as you go with your accuser before the magistrate make an effort to settle with him on the way, lest he drag you to the judge and the judge hand you over to the officer and the officer put you in prison? I tell you, you will never get out until you have paid every last penny. And if you go further back, and if you just go through the teaching of the Lord Jesus, there's this constant theme of there's there's a judgment coming. There's there's a time where this this will come to fruition. Prepare yourself for what is coming. You hear this message from our Lord over and over and over again. And so somebody comes to him and brings to his attention what happened with this group of people. A horrific thing. Um, This is not an event that's in Scripture, so we do the best we can to to understand the event, to understand just exactly what happened. Some who had heard Jesus' teaching up to this point, perhaps they were responding to his words in what they brought to his attention. Remember, the Lord's talking about coming judgment. He's talking about there's a recompense, talking about this is moving towards something, right? So they come to him with an observation. What about? these people. It was a very common thought embedded in that culture. When bad things happen, it's because that person did something to bring it on to himself. Now, I say that culture, I still think some folks buy into that to some extent. That concept that if they were more obedient to the Lord, this would not happen. This is the prosperity gospel. If you have enough faith, if you donate enough money, if you say the right thing, if you, if you don't say the wrong thing, if you act in a certain way, you put in the right change in the machine, the machine kicks out what you want. Treat God right, he'll treat you right. Scratch his back, he'll scratch your back. This concept of, and then, so when something goes wrong and somebody dies, they go, ah, some kind of sin's going on there. Remember when... when um, Job's friends came and sat with him. You know what they should have done? Just sat with him. That's all they should have done. Don't say a word. Everything was going great until they opened their mouths. 
But that concept, once again, was there. Job, you sinned, and that's why this is happening. That's a lie. Pausing on purpose. That's a lie. Now, is there judgment from God? Sure. Does he judge at times? Yes. We see with Ananias and Sapphira. They lie. He says, you've lied to the Holy Spirit. They both breathe their last, and they're buried that day. The whole church is freaked out and scared. The Lord does judge. But it's a, it's a mistake when something difficult or catastrophic happens and immediately go, ah, they got it because they're sinners. Unlike us. Job chapter, you don't have to turn there, but just some passages you can jot down. Job chapter 4, verse 7, chapter 8, verse 20, and then John 9, chapter 9, verse 2. Remember that story in John 9? The blind man? Did this guy sin or did his parents sin? They don't even ask what, what God's up to. They just say, we know it's sin, so was it him or was it his mom and dad? Because obviously he's blind because he messed up or because mom and dad messed up. Jesus says, this man is blind for the glory of God. The, the Lord's going to show his power in this man's weakness. But nonetheless, the mindset was there. Obviously, you messed up somewhere. And that's why this happened. It's a very common thought, and so this thought is being brought to the attention of our Lord about these folks who died in such a weird, gross way. Apparently, while some were offering sacrifices for sin... Pilate had them murdered, and their blood actually fell and mingled with the blood of the animals. A very gross dishonor. And let me just take a side note real quick. I find it interesting. These folks are asking a question about their sin, where they died in the actual act of obedience offering these sacrifices before the Lord. And so everybody had this concept of, those are the bad ones. Obviously, they're hiding something because the manner in which they died. No doubt this act fit very well with the type of reputation Pilate had as a heartless, cold guy. Later in the life of the Lord Jesus, we're going to see he's also rather spineless. But nonetheless, they pose this question. Now, I find it interesting, if you look down at, at verse 1, chapter 13, it says, there were some present at that very time who told him about, I love that when folks are informing Jesus, <laughs> who told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. Now, listen to this. He answered them. Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? What's the answer? What's their answer? Of course course. Yeah, yeah, that's why. Um, and that's why we're bringing it to your attention, too. Um, we believe that they are worse sinners. I just find it fascinating, the, the, the concept of worse sinner. <clears throat> that, that's just laughable. No doubt this kind of act was there for Pilate, and no doubt these folks, because of the grossness in which they died, their first thought is, they did something so much worse than us. We'll die in a regular way. We won't be dishonored in that way because we're good and we've done good stuff. They did all bad stuff, so they died that way. Jesus' fascinating question 
is going right to the core of these individuals. He, I, there's many things that point to the divinity of the Lord Jesus. Here's something that maybe we don't always pay attention to. His ability with so few words to go right to the core of an individual is astounding to me. I meet with people all the time, constantly meeting with people and talking with them. And any, any one of you who's met with me, you know those are a good two hours because I just got a lot of words trying to figure out what I'm trying to say. Jesus astounds me with his, just the amount of, the, the small amount of words he uses and goes right to the core of the heart of the people. So Jesus asked the question, do you think they're worse than you? think they're worse sinners because of the way they died? Yeah, we do. Since they died in this way, they obviously were worse sinners. Simple thought, simple process, okay? Now, I want you to ask yourself this, and I want you to ask yourself this um, as honestly as you can. I want you to think about the last year, two years, three years, okay? I want you to ask yourself this question. Have I ever thought in this mindset, in this path? Bad life equals bad death. Good life equals good death. I do good stuff, I get good stuff. I do bad stuff, I get bad stuff. Think very carefully, beloved, not about anybody else, about you. Have you ever, in the last couple of years, had this mindset, this pattern of thinking, where if I do good, I'll get good, and if I do bad, I'll get bad? Now, I want to be careful not to overpress something here, because there is some truth that there are consequences to things that we do, and, and I want to absolutely throw that caveat out there. We should walk in obedience, so on and so forth. But I've heard people, believers, tell me, I've served God this way, and I think that now he owes me. And I would lie to you if I told you I'd never had that thought come across the, the screen in my own thinking. After all I've done, I, I would think he wouldn't do that. Why me? Why would he do that? See, when we're reading it in the text and we hear these people say it, we go, man, those Galileans are dumb. The reality is we're dumb. We buy into this way too easily. My goodness, you guys, you know how much money is made by the prosperity gospel with this philosophy of if you do the right stuff, you're going to be wealthy. You will not have the bumps in the road like the rest of the people. And then, and then they, they take that and they sell it across over the seas to, to different folks in different countries, and they buy it. And they say, this must be true because the Americans have shipped it over there, and it makes sense. We do good stuff, we get stuff. That, that fits my human natural thinking. And so checks are written and sent in for such an evil thought process. Jesus takes this opportunity, and that's what I want you to notice that he sees this as. Jesus takes this opportunity to point his listeners to the reality that all are sinners who should and will perish apart from repentance and faith. 
He saw an opportunity here. Notice he doesn't even chase their line of thinking. He doesn't even say, well, the way they died was actually this way, that way. Uh, you know, the red herring concept of somebody throws something out there and you chase that, as opposed to getting to the heart of the issue. And Jesus at times will do that. We see him do that with the woman at the well. But here in this text, he doesn't get thrown off his game in the least. They come to him and say, what about these people who died this way? Jesus' response, do you think they're worse sinners because they died that way? You think because they're suffering in their life, they're worse than you somehow? And he knows that their answer is yes. Look, look down at the passage. He says no, verse 3. No, I tell you, but unless you repent, Again, so much, so much room in the white spaces. To, to watch the movie and see the facial expression of the people when he says that. Because they have it in their mind how this is supposed to go. Because there's a common teaching, a common thought at this time, and Jesus just absolutely turned it on its head. Unless you repent, you all likewise perish. I don't think what he's saying there is you'll die and your blood will be mingled with the blood of sacrifices, but he's saying in the same way you will be cut off as well. Your day is coming. And unless you repent, you will perish just as these folks have perished and you will be in eternal torment. So now another one is brought to their mind. Verse 4. Or those 18 on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them, do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? Now uh, there's more of a humming instead of a yes in their answer after what he just said. Um, but at this point, these folks, they've been taught this. Some have taught this at this time. And Jesus is saying, so you're telling me because of what took place, you are sure they are more evil. Yes. Okay, what about those 18, where the Tower of Siloam, over by the Pool of Siloam, a tower, some folks have wondered if it was scaffolding they were using to repair the wall that came down. It doesn't say, it says Tower of Siloam, so, but regardless, some structure came down, fell on those 18, and they're dead. I heard a, a um, story this week about some missionaries numerous years ago, and they were in a third world country, and they were there serving with their two daughters, and there was a massive landslide, and it buried the whole family and killed everybody. Missionaries on the mission field, serving the Lord, and a landslide snuffs all the, the whole family out. wonder what sin they did that God would do that. See, guys, I don't, I don't think it's that far off the beaten path for us to actually wonder that. And so as these questions are being brought to the Lord Jesus, I, I don't think they're... They're not crazy to wonder this. Is, God, is this God's judgment? Because the Lord does discipline those whom he, he loves, and he doesn't even go down that path. Were these 18 worse sinners than the rest in the city? Please notice that Jesus presupposes the depravity of people. What do I mean? Notice he doesn't say sinners. Did you catch that in the text? Worse sinners. As if there were better sinners. But it's fa let me just give you some verses to... Uh, let me actually check out the clock real quick. Okay, yeah, go with me to Romans 3. 
just to remind you of this, Romans chapter 3, one thing you could argue, and I think very easily argue, is it is a presupposition in the scriptures that man is evil. Man is bad. I know the world tells us man's basically good. You know what they're proving? Man's basically bad because they just lied to you. Romans chapter 3. None is righteous. This is verse 10, second half of verse 10. None is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. How do you have a seeker-friendly movement? All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery, and the way of peace they have not known. And then kind of a cap on top of all of it. There's no fear of God before their eyes. Ephesians chapter 2 tells us that they are backbiters, haters of God, dead in sins and trespasses. Romans 3.23 tells us that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Beloved, the argument from Scripture that man is depraved by nature is presupposed by the Lord Jesus in this passage. Because he does not say, are they sinners? As if there were some righteous. He says, are they worse sinners? Why? Because all are sinners. Every last one of us. Every last human being, period, is lost, dead, sinful. And I know that that ticks off some people and gets some people riled. But beloved, why would we hide the truth? Why would we hide that? Because man doesn't like it? Of course not. That's what the scripture says. Jesus knows what's in the heart of man, and he knows what's in the heart of these folks right here as they come to him. Now, unless you repent of sin, you will likewise be taken out in death. What is Christ getting at here? What he's getting at is you have made a distinction among yourselves that does not exist. That those are the bad people, and you're the good people. I get, I get, it bothers me at times when I hear people say, well, but these are the good people, and those are the bad people. And I, I just want to come to the Bible and just ask the question, who are the good people? That's why it was interesting years ago, the, the whole argument of the uh, carnal Christian debate, where they would talk about you have the Christian, the unsaved person, and the carnal Christian. And I remember at Bible college, we'd have lots of discussion about what's a carnal Christian, and they'd spend time debating it and talking about it. My question was, can I find the perfect Christian, the good Christian, the Christian that doesn't have carnality, the one that doesn't struggle with sin, the one who's perfect in this life? It doesn't exist, and so this whole thing was set up, and it was like, this doesn't make any sense biblically. The Scripture knows of two kinds, saints and ain'ts. There's believers and unbelievers, lost and saved, all kinds of variables, struggling with sin, 
a, a baby Christian, a weathered Christian, a seasoned Christian, a mature Christian. There, there's these different variables within there, but there's nobody who's, who's reached that perfection, and there's no true born-again believer who's a bad person, and you're a good person. You are a saved-by-grace person if you're in Jesus Christ. And if you're not, you are under the wrath of God. The lie of our world, the great deceiving lie in our world right now is people telling you, you are basically good. You can look at all of the, the things that are happening in our world, in our country right now, with the differences, with people trying to draw lines into, I'm this, I'm that, you're this, you're that, trying to draw all these artificial lines to make somebody have one up on another. And the scripture comes with beautiful clarity and says, enough, you are all lost and dead in Adam. It's amazing to me in this world that every TV show you watch has to have a particular person who's a, a particular color, a particular sexual preference, or a particular thing. And you look at that and you go, we are drawing so many divisive lines among us as a, as a people, naturally as a people, because we're trying to say one is of more benefit than the other. And the scripture comes and says, you are dead wrong. You are all lost in sin. And so church, can I just from my heart express something? Well, I already have been, but let me do it some more. We, we, have, we, have, we have got to be reminded and refreshed from the word of God. There is a dividing line. There is one dividing line. And that's the Lord Jesus. As many of the dividing lines in our world is wanting to give the church to divide us, beloved, there's one dividing line, dead and alive, spiritually, in Christ or out of Christ. Yeah, lots of variables, lots of things to discuss, but biblically, there's one divided, dividing line. And that's what I believe our Savior's rushing to here in the text is he says, do you think you're better sinners than those guys? Because you did this? Because that happened to them? See, what I'm convinced of, beloved, is that we get saved... We come through the gate of the gospel. We're overwhelmed by grace. We just cannot believe God would love me. God would save me. God would pour his, his, his love over me. He'd give me his word. He'd give me his church. And you just just exploding with the reality of your own salvation. You can't believe what's happening. And then you have that, that passion where you want to share it with the lost. They're going to hell. They've got to hear this passage. They've got to hear this truth. And I want to tell them. Little time goes by, the ego grows, pride slips in. No longer do you read a passage of scripture that makes reference to maturity and think, someday I might get there. You go, I've reached it. And when somebody makes reference to a baby Christian, you never think it's you. It's always somebody else. And you start to get calloused and you start to see yourself as better than. And you lose sight of the gospel. 
Beloved, the reality is you are in need of grace today as much as you have ever been in need of grace. Nobody here in this room this morning can tell God, I've got it from here, thanks. We aren't better sinners. We're sinners. And it is absolutely vital that we don't lose sight of the reality that our salvation is, is not God's loan to us to get us to a place where we go, I've got this. I believe for all eternity, in the presence of the Lord, we will rejoice in our salvation by grace through faith. So if that's the case, if that's true, and I, I, I believe it with all of my heart that that's true. If you're in this room this morning, and you know for a fact, deep in your heart, I've been faking it. Or somebody drug you in here this morning. Tricked you. Hey, you serve good coffee. You want to come into this building with me? And then lock the door behind him. As much as I can from not a judgmental as far as I can tell, judgmental motive, but from a, a heart that means it and means it with passion and with tears, I do not want you to be in hell forever. <clears throat> and uh, God in his infinite wisdom and grace and mercy provided salvation by the death of his son on the cross to rescue us. Christ was crucified not so you could add to his work to please God. He was crucified as the perfect payment to rescue a people for his name's sake. And if, you're, if you are buying the lie that you're trying to keep God happy by your doings, can I plead with you, run to the cross. Because that's a lie. You're fooling yourself. You're deceiving your own heart with that lie of your own goodness. And you're keeping yourself from the only means of salvation. And to the saints, my precious church family, I'm ashamed at times how fast I lose sight of the gospel. And I can actually start to, <clears throat> to buy into my own self-righteousness and put other people down as if they were stupid, ignorant, less than. I'm standing on grace while I'm judging them on their works. See, the gospel, again, is not that gate that you get in. It's, it's, the, ever, it's the forever mindset. It flavors the whole Christian in everything. We, we, we fail all the time. I fail all the time. And God in his grace says, I have sympathy. I have compassion. 
I have patience. I have love. I'll wait for you, Dan. Come on. And then I turn around and somebody drops me and I get bitter, irritated, lack of patience. Because I forgot grace. I forgot the gospel. Started to buy into a stupid mindset of this world, my natural thinking, that I'm standing on grace. Who am I? Who's Dan Mason? To look at somebody and say, you need to get your act together. When God in his grace says, I'm going to help you get your act together by love, with passion, with patience, and with gentleness. Would you say you've got some cataracts in your gospel eyes right now? I like that illustration. It just came to me right now. So, <clears throat> Some things that are making it a bit fuzzy. Let me, let me help with that a little bit. Do you have anybody right now, if you, thought, if you thought for a little bit, you could think of somebody who deserves hell more than you? Can you think of anybody that you think you deserve heaven more than? If anybody comes to your mind, I ask of you to plead with God, remind me of the gospel. For you are saved by grace, through faith, and that is not of yourself. The gospel is the entrance gate, but it's also the forever meditation of the believer and it should flavor all of our thinking and all of our doing. Father, as we come to your table, 